I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 5. And we're going to do something today we've never done before. I'm going to do something today I've never done before. I've always wanted to do this, but never found the occasion to do it. But over the next two Sundays, I'm going to preach the same text. It's always been a little bit of a challenge for me to prepare a message off of a text, preach it twice on a Sunday morning, and then move on and never go back to that text. But today and this Sunday, we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. And next Sunday, we're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, and then we're going to add verses 10 and 11. And today, James is going to teach us how to respond rightly when wronged. Anybody in the room ever been wronged? No one's been wronged? Stay around here for a while and you'll be wronged. (laughs) James has good news for us. He teaches us how to respond rightly. Next Sunday, he's going to help us understand what it means to be a more patient person. Anybody need more patience? You need to raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. (laughs) James has good news for us. He's going to help us with patience. Now, the interesting thing that happens here in chapter 5 of James is that there's a change in direction. There's a change in tone. Watch this. Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now, what's that a change from? Well, look at chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And the change is, in the first six verses, he was addressing non-believers. And now, picking up in verse 7, he's addressing believers. He's going back to that nomenclature of my brothers. But there's a second thing to note here. And it's all the way back in chapter 1, verse 1. So go all the way back to chapter 1, verse 1. And notice what he says in the introduction. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Now, we circled that word dispersion, and we talked about it at length months ago. But let's just kind of get a refresher on that. The Jews have always been people who've been dispersed. The first dispersion occurred in 722 AD, excuse me, BC. When the Syrians came in and took captive the ten northern tribes of Israel. And then in 586, the Babylonians came in and took captive the two southern tribes. And as a result, Jews have always been dispersed throughout the world. And in the New Testament times, they were not only in Mesopotamia, but the Mediterranean, Mediterranean, in Asia Minor, in Europe. And you move all the way into the 20th century and you have this dispersion of Jews, this horrific dispersion of Jews that takes place in World War II. But this particular Jews, this group, they're a part of the dispersion that occurred in the book of Acts. Do you remember when Stephen was martyred in the book of Acts and Saul is standing there giving testimony, affirming his martyrdom? And the scripture says next in chapter 8, that from there, because of the persecution, they were scattered from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, these are the Jews that he's speaking to, and he's speaking to converted Jews. He's speaking to completed Jews. He's speaking to Jews who have been born again. 
And they're under the heavy oppression of the elite Gentiles. And they're disenfranchised. They're discouraged. They're despairing. They're helpless. They're homeless. Unjustly accused. Improperly imprisoned. And they're being wronged. And what he does beginning in verse 7 through verse 9 is he teaches how to respond rightly when wronged. And we're going to use the same thing. We're going to look at three lessons today. Three ways to respond rightly when wronged. Here we go. Lesson one, be patient. Be patient. Now you're going to notice in verse 7 and in the first part of verse 8, he's going to use the word patient three times. He says, be patient. Therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient until about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. So three times he tells the reader to be patient. We know what being patient means. It, it means to endure. It, it means to forbear. It means to withstand. It means to hang on. But this is not a passive word. This is not some kind of passive waiting This is not a general or gentle tolerance. This is an active and robust robust word. Meaning, you persevere through suffering. You endure this trial. And you expectantly wait for the hope that is to come. So, to be patient is to persevere, is to withstand, is to endure, and is to expectantly wait for a promise that is to come. What are we waiting on? Well, he tells us, look. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Be be patient until Jesus returns. Now, we're going to talk about that at length in just a moment, so we're just going to move on. And then he uses this illustration. Watch the illustration, verse 7. See the farmer? See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? The early rains come in April and May. The late rains come in October, November. And if there's anything a farmer must excel in, it is patience. There is this rhythm of working and waiting in the farmer's life. They work hard. They get dirty. They plow the field. They plant the seed. They kill the weeds. They fertilize the plant. They endure the drought. They fight off the bugs. They wake up early. They stay up late. They watch the weather. They pray for rain. They pray for the sun. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait for the harvest. So his first message on being wronged and how to respond rightly is to be patient. So (laughs) how do we do that? How do we be patient? Well, here, let let me give you three quick thoughts here. Let me give you three quick thoughts about being patient. Here we go, the first one. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Not in some, but in all. So you're waiting patiently, give thanks to God. Here's a second thought. Remember God's promises. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 
While you're waiting, while you're enduring, you remember God's promises. And then here's the third and final thought on being patient. Seek God's purpose. Whatever trial or circumstance that we're in, God has a purpose for it. And I can tell you right now, without even knowing what your trial is, one purpose is for you to be a living witness for Jesus. Another purpose is for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. The ultimate purpose is for you to glorify God. Hebrews chapter 12, 3 and 4 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Give thanks. Remember his promises. Seek his purpose. Second lesson. Second lesson. Be steadfast. Not only should you be patient, but you should be steadfast. Look at the two phrases that are used in the next part of verse 8 where he says, you also be patient. Here's the first phrase. Establish your hearts. And then here's the second phrase. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's the coming of the Lord again. He referred to it until the coming of the Lord in verse 7. The two phrases, establish your hearts. What does it mean to establish your hearts? It means to be immovable. It means to be steady and strong and steadfast in the sense that you're so certain about the future, you dare not let the troubles of the present move you. You're so certain about the future, you dare not let the troubles of the present move you. And then notice this. He says, establish your hearts, be steadfast, be strong, be immovable. Don't you move, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Circle that little prepositional phrase at the end, at hand. It is near. It's very soon. Think about the audience that's receiving this letter. They're less than two decades after Jesus has been resurrected. They're less than two decades after he ascended into heaven. They're less than two decades after he said, I'm coming back. So there is an expectancy on their part that maybe they had that we don't have. Jesus taught that he was returning. They believed Jesus was returning. And they were expectant for the return of Christ. The coming of the Lord is a very common phrase in the New Testament. You ready for this? 300 times. And out of all the verses in the New Testament... That means that one out of 13 refers to the coming of the Lord. So Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. And the word is, you be immovable. You be steadfast. You be strong. You be confident. Don't you quit. And in the face of being wronged, you fix your heart on his return. Let's do this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Go to the left in our Bibles to Matthew 24. And let's just, let's just listen to a few things that Jesus had to say about his return. Look at verse 27. Matthew 24. Look at verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east, this is Jesus speaking. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There is this expectancy of Jesus returning, and he says that clearly. They didn't know when Jesus was coming. 
just like you and I don't know when he was coming. But they hoped he was coming. <laughs> Have you ever noticed this? And I don't mean this to be humorous. Uh, I mean it to be truthful. You ever notice that when life stinks, when it's really hard, when it's tough, that one of the current thoughts that flows to your mind is, oh, Lord Jesus, please come soon. You ever thought about that? Revelation twenty two twenty says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Last sentence in the Bible. Look at this. Look at verse 36. Regarding the return of Jesus Christ, no one knows when he's coming. Verse 36. But concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Look at 37 through 39. As in the days of Noah, when Jesus returns, people will be shocked. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Look at 40 through 44. You better be ready. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Get that little phrase, at hand. First lesson, be patient. Second lesson, be steadfast. Third lesson, be ready. Be ready. Verse 9, as you make your way back to James 5. Do not grumble against one another. Circle that word. You know what it means. It means to groan. You know what else it means. It means this. It means when you've had enough, when you are on your last nerve, and you're ready to unleash your wrath. Do not sigh. Do not groan. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Oh, glory. Where is he going? Well, you know where he's going. It's where he's been going the last part of this letter. He's going to the judgment of the Lord. He says plainly, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Look at the end of verse 8. Establish your hearts for the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then look at the end of verse 9. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It, Jesus is ready. Jesus is waiting. Jesus is looming. Jesus is prepared. And when he comes, he's going to judge. 1 Corinthians 3. This will be the fourth Sunday we've gone there. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the the day it will be disclosed. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he receives a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through the fire. Let's say it again. Let's say it again for us just to remember. Every human being, whether living or dead, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Saved or unsaved, lost or found, forgiven or unforgiven, believer or non-believer, or alive in Christ or dead in your sins, you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The believer, let's remember, the believer will be judged for his works. And if they're in the flesh, those are the worthless things, wood, hay, straw, they'll be burned up. But if they're in the spirit, those are the worthy things, gold, silver, precious stone, they'll be rewarded. He's he's reminding his audience, you stand firm. You be relentless. You be patient. You be immovable. You be steadfast. And you be ready. Verse 7, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Okay, here's a great question. He's been standing at the door for 2,000 years. What is he waiting on? He's been ready for two millennia. His coming is at hand. What's the wait? Oh, it's good. Let's go to the right in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the scripture teaches us, beginning in verse 8, what he's waiting on. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and as a thousand years as one day. God's scale of time is not our scale of time. He's before time, above time, and beyond time. He's not within time. So his scale of time is nowhere like ours. Look at verse 9. So let's ask the question, why the delay? Why has he waited 2,000 years? Why not come? Why not come now? Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Oh, we should be thankful he's waited 2,000 years. It's remarkable that God is delaying time to give sinners more time to repent. He's not wishing for any to perish, but he wants each one to repent and reach repentance. Could it be? That the Lord is waiting on you to repent. He's ready. He's at hand. He's standing at the door. 
And then look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth works that are done on it will be exposed. Get this. There's going to be no 10-minute countdown. Get this. There's going to be no trigger signs. There's, no going to be war- there's going to be no warning sirens. When he comes, that will be it. So let's go back to James 5. And let's read how to respond rightly when wronged. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Be patient, be steadfast. Be ready. You know what the Bible calls the days that we're living in right now? You know what the Bible calls these days? The Bible calls these days the last days. You do know that there's only one thing remaining in the history of Scripture. You do know that, don't you? And that one thing is remaining is the return of Jesus Christ. We're in the last days. If you don't believe me, watch the news tonight. Go on social media. Do you know why it's called the last days? We're living in the last days because the end is near. We're living in the last days because we don't know how much time we have left. We're living in the last days because we don't know when that day will come. We're living in the last days because when he comes, he will come personally and he will bring a whole host of heavenly beings with him. We're living in the last days because when he comes, he will bring an end to human history. And when he comes, he will judge the living and the dead. We're living in the last days because when he judges those who are dead in their sins, they will be sent to eternal punishment. And we're living in the last days because when he comes, he will judge those who are alive in Christ and send them to their eternal reward. We are living in the last days. And that clock is ticking down. And the judge is ready. And he stands at the door. And he is at hand. Are you ready? He's coming. And would it not be a glorious day for him to come today? Stand with me, please. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, would you please continue to do a mighty work? Would you continue to speak to us and draw us? And we know this, that the the scripture says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Okay, so we're drawing near to you. We know you're going to draw near to us. And the scripture invites us over and over and over to seek the Lord while he may be found. And Father, we want to use the remaining moments in worship to do just that. And if there's another Nichelle Johnson 
who triggered by the Holy Spirit recognizes that her works will not get her into heaven. It's only being born again in Christ that does. May they respond. May there be another Alex Jessen. May there be another Daniel Rustin. May there be another Brandon McQueen. May there be just one more, just one more, just one more, just one more. Because we're standing in the last days. Now let me give a word of instruction. We, we, are, we are in God's time right now. Not ours. And he wants to move and work and speak and minister and instruct. And as he leads, you respond. I, I can't tell you what that looks like. But whatever he's telling you to do, you do. If it's a public movement, make it public. If it's private, make it private. If it's to go to your knees, go to your knees. If it's to raise your hands, raise your hands. But this is God's time, it's not ours. And as we sing, you respond. Thank you, Father for loving us so deeply.